He was a young man, great ambition, working hard every day. He was climbing step by step, what we call the corporate ladder. The one thing about this man is he was very, very punctual. He followed a very precise routine every morning. His alarm went off at 6.30. He just got up immediately. He was, he was up and brisk, brisk and, and, and ready to go. He would shave, he would shower, he would dress, he would eat his breakfast, he would brush his teeth, he, he, he would pick up his briefcase, he would get into his car, he would ride down to the ferry terminal across town, and, and, he, and then he'd uh, get on the ferry and have the little trip across to the downtown, get off the ferry, walk directly to his building, march to the elevator, or ride to the 17th floor, and sit down at his chair at precisely 8 a.m. Not 7.59, and certainly not 8.01, at 8 a.m. sharp. Now, he followed this same pattern without variation for almost nine years, until one morning his alarm didn't go off. And he overslept by 15 minutes. When he awoke, he was panic-stricken. He rushed through his shower. He nicked himself shaving. He dressed in a hurried fashion. He gulped down his breakfast. He only halfway brushed his teeth. He grabbed up his briefcase. He jumped into his car. He sped to the ferry landing. He jumped out of his car, and he looked for the ferry. And there it was, out in the water, a few feet from the dock, and he said to himself, I think I can make it. So he ran with everything he had in him down the dock towards the ferry at full speed, reaching the edge of the pier, and he made an enormous leap out over the water, and miraculously he landed with a loud thud on the deck of the ferry. The captain rushed down to make sure he was all right. He was going to make it. The captain said these words. Man, <laughs> that was a tremendous leap. But if you would have just waited another minute, we would have reached the dock. <laughs> and you could have walked right on. <laughs> the very next thing that you know and I know is that the Christmas holiday season will be upon us. The challenge of gift selection and buying that requires so much of us to travel to stores, those of you who do, and whose parking lots and the drive to get there, try your patience. I recently came across a saying that I think would make a great bumper sticker for us to place on our cards. Don't give up. It took Noah almost a year to find a parking place. <laughs> Patience. We find it in short supply these days. We, 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 we seek it in the grocery store line. We seek it at the ATM. We seek it when we hook up to the in, we see it when we hook up to the internet, when we're late for class or for school or for work. And those of you who are residents of this tourist area, we see it every day. I'm really not proud of some things that some people say about the tourists who come here and make our lives better, not worse. Ooh, got quiet. When we are trying to get to church on time, I know. When we have to go to the bathroom, I mean really go. And there's a long line. Most people do a better job practicing impatience than patience. Some have those smart alecky signs in their car windows that indicate their great impatience with drivers of other, other vehicles, well, like what we believe uh, is their chief character defect. <laughs> we scream at our computers when they take so long to start up. 
or suddenly slow down. Think of these controversies. We yell at our children to slow down when they're going bonkers, and you yell at them to speed up when they're going at a snail's pace. Now, which is it? We're in such a hurry these days. Going where? It's time for a message entitled Whining, Waiting, and Winning. Father God, bless this message today, we ask. Open our hearts as we open your word. Lord, as this is delivered, may it fall on listening ears, attentive hearts and minds, and spirits that are willing to follow you. And we give you all the praise, for we pray in Jesus' name. And the church said, why is patience in such short supply? I ask that again. I'm going to hit it from three different areas, and the first is whining. We have all noticed in, through many ways that Satan uses these ways to trip us up and to try our patience and to take us to the limit and, sad to say, sometimes beyond. We've seen how pride and jealousy and disappointment or resentment and complacency can cause big problems in our lives and make very difficult to have a relationship with God. So today, we're going to come to a passage of Scripture. It may or may not be familiar to you. I hope it will be when I'm done. In the life of somebody whose tragic story holds for us a lesson about impatience and its effects on our relationship with God. See, when you're impatient, it affects a lot of things. Number one, your, your relationship with God. Not only that, your relationship with others. And it's the story of King Saul and the episode we're examining, if you have your Bible or you're on your app, it's in thir- the 13th chapter of 1 Samuel. So 1 Samuel 13... I'm going to start at verse 5, and I'm going to read several verses so you can follow along. You can read right along with me if you'd like to. I always like to hear those voices or whatever. 1 Samuel 13, starting at verse 5. The Philistines assembled to fight Israel. That just seemed to be a recurring theme in this part of the Bible. With 3,000 chariots, I can't even fathom that. 6,000 charioteers and soldiers as numerous as the sand on the seashore. They went up and camped at Michmash, east of Beth-Avon. When the Israelites saw that their situation was critical and that their army was hard-pressed, they hid in caves and thickets among the rocks and in pits and cisterns. Some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul remained at Gilgal. And all the troops with him were quaking with fear. That's the kind of army you want defending you, right? Yeah. He waited seven days, the time set by Samuel. But Samuel didn't come to Gilgal. And Saul's men began to scatter. Hey, they're, heading, they're going AWOL now. So he said, bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offering. And just as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrived. The prophet is here, and Saul went out to greet him. What have you done? Asked Samuel. Saul said, well, when I saw that the men were scattering and you didn't come at the set time and the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I thought, now the Philistines are going to come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the Lord's favor, so I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. I did it all on my own, so to speak. You have done a foolish thing, Samuel said. That's one of the the most colossal prophetic statements in the Bible, I think. You have done a foolish thing. You've not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. You... If you had, he would have established your kingdom, now listen to this, over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept 
the Lord's command. Wow. Now, according to this text, if you read that whole chapter, it says back in verse 1 that Saul reigned as the king of Israel for 42 years. Now, I don't know for sure when this event took place, if it was at the start of his reign, in the middle of the reign, near the end of his reign. I don't know. I'm struck by the fact that this moment of impatience had both immediate and long-term consequences on Saul's life, on his authority, on his relationships. For we read this in verses 13 and 14. Catch what I read. Samuel declares that instead of his reign being the start of a great uh, a lineage of Israelite kings, the, the honor now is not going to be his, but would go to someone else because God had wanted to have someone who is a person after his own heart. And I asked the question, and I've asked the question of myself many times in all these years, and you maybe have asked it of yourself or of someone else, why was it hard for Saul to just wait on Samuel? So I picked a paraphrased thought from a noted Bible scholar, and it gives me sort of an answer, and I want to read it to you. Quote, Life is composed of waiting periods. How are we doing so far? Do you agree? Yeah, you're just waiting for the next chew to drop, aren't you? So I'm going to start over. Life is composed of waiting periods. The child must wait until he's old enough to have a bicycle. You know, some fathers, some parents, they get the kid a bicycle when he's three weeks old which I think is ridiculous. I mean, I didn't buy my kids hockey sticks until they were that old. And skates and... You know, the young woman, until she's old enough to drive a car, the medical student must, for his or her diploma, must wait, must work, must wait. The husband, for his promotion at the work, at the job. The young couple, for saving, they're buying a new home. They, they have to work their way through that and wait for this and wait for this and wait and wait. The art of waiting is not learned at once, end of quote. The art of waiting is not learned at once. I'm reminded of an unforgettable verse of Scripture that includes the word wait. It's found in Isaiah 40, verse 31. But those who wait on the Lord will find new strength. They will fly on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Then I heard, I heard that word again, run, in that verse. And another verse comes to mind that's the last part of Hebrews, chapter 12 and verse 1. Let us run with patience or with endurance or with perseverance, any one of those words fit, the race that God has set before us. And then that word endurance jumps out at me, and it really does. And I think then of 2 Peter, this is kind of my second text this morning, chapter 1, verses 6, 7, and 8. And again, I'm going to read those, and I will have you follow along or have you just read with me. And add to um, Hebrews Excuse me, 2 Peter 1, I should have repeated that, verses 6, 7, and 8. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith, what? Goodness. Uh, I think we need to back it up to verse 6. Maybe I don't have that, I'm sorry. Oh, that's 5, go to 6. And to knowledge, what? Self-control. And to self-control, what? And to perseverance, what? Godliness. And to godliness, what? Mutual affection. And to mutual affection, what? Love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Second Peter 1. If you're a note taker, you really, 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 really need to write this down. I didn't put it on the screen for you because I wanted your rapt attention when I mentioned this, but 2 Peter 1, 6 through 8, for I call this spiritual maturity in three simple verses. You won't find a better example of it anywhere in Scripture. That word self-control is an important word, and I 
I think of Paul's list. Of some, uh, he, he had some important targets, didn't he? In Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23, he said, when the Holy Spirit controls our lives, he'll produce this kind of fruit in us. Love, joy, and peace. Patience, kindness, and goodness. Faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Love it. There's also another spot where the word endurance appears, and that's important for us to hear today. And that's in the book of James, chapter 1, the great pastor of Jerusalem. James chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. For when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be strong in character. I love that. Strong in character and ready for anything. So, what are some other words that mean the same thing as endurance? You can check a thesaurus if you want, but I've already looked them up, so I'll help you. Here are a few words I found, and they mean the same thing. This list of words is not my own. It's borrowed, but you might want to borrow it again. Staying power, love that. Survival, stamina, fortitude, just pick one. Continued existence, and last but not least, patience. Those words all describe endurance. And all of that has to do with learning how to wait. If you're, a good, if you're good at waiting, wouldn't you sit here today and admit that you still could learn some things about waiting? If you're not so good at waiting, don't you think you could learn something about waiting? And if you've never really given it much thought since you've become a Christian, don't you think you could even go a step further with it today? And not just learn how to wait, but to grow as you're learning this art of waiting. You see, all that I've said so far has to do with learning how to wait. When you're learning how to wait, as the, as the weight curve goes up, the whining curve will come down. Some people are very comfortable in their whining. They're happy in their discomfort. They're enjoying their misery. But I know nobody here is in that category. And as your learning of patience goes up, your whining will go down. Isaiah's passage indicates what the benefits of waiting are. What are those benefits? Strength and help and spiritual stamina. He says you'll be able to tackle anything as you wait on the Lord. So let's go to it. Secondly, waiting. Waiting. Waiting is a spiritual issue. You read your Bible carefully and just take in all of these great Old Testament stories and you'll just see waiting after waiting after waiting after waiting. And you know what? It's been over 2,000 years now since Jesus left and he's promised to come back and he's coming back soon and we've never been closer. But you know what we're doing today in great anticipation with faith and love and, and, and faithfulness to him? Do you know what we're doing today? We're still... Thank you. Waiting is a spiritual issue. And Saul had to wait for Samuel, had to wait for Samuel, had to wait till the prophet arrived, had to wait to get the word from the man of God, had to wait, had to wait, had to wait, and he did not. And he paid the consequences dearly for his impatience. So we return to 2 Peter, and I take a closer look at it. And in verses 6, 7, and 8, knowing God leads to self-control. Knowing God leads to self-control. Self-control leads to patient endurance. Patient endurance leads to godliness. You read that with me. Godliness leads to love for other Christians. And finally, you grow to have genuine love for everyone. So what does all that mean? Well, first, if you make the choice to know God, 
That is, have a personal relationship with him based on the forgiveness that, uh, that you receive and, and can accept through Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection, then that moves us towards self-control as evidence of our commitment to and our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So why is self-control so important? The first and major reason that I can think of is it is evidence of a changed life. Instead of living by and through our impulses, we live by and through the spirit and power of God. Instead of complaining and going immediately to Facebook or on your text or wherever you have the greatest following and complain about that traffic and that guy in front of you, why don't you just take those few seconds or minutes or hours and pray for that person? You have no idea what their need might be or what might be going on ahead of you, behind you, around you, or over you. And you may have no idea how many times God has saved you from something terrible that very day that you're not even aware of. And here you are. You have the audacity to be impatient with someone else you don't even know. Save me. Deliver me from that. And that can be your prayer today. Our behavior changes. When our behavior begins to change, it has an impact on our relationships. People don't want to flee from you. They want to be around you. They want to be with you. They want to know who you are. You see, people will begin to see the difference in our lives, and then they'll say, well, something's different. What is it? And all you have to say is this. Yeah, it's something's different. I'm under new management. Amen? I hope you are. And there's a second thing here that this means. Self-control will lead us to patient endurance, and patient endurance will lead us to godliness. Now, why is godliness so important, and why are Christians kind of afraid to even say that word because it sounds so righteous? Godliness is the evidence of God in our lives. And it comes as we demonstrate patient endurance through the practice of self-control in our lives. You say, what is this thing all about? Well, here's the third thing. Godliness leads to love, love for other Christians. You say, well, that's just automatic, is it? And, and, I, and let's, just be, let's, just, let's just be so honest and and upfront and transparent with each other that we can say and hear and accept these words. Sometimes other Christians are the hardest people to love. No, I'm going to say that again the right way. Some of us Christians are sometimes the hardest people to love. Amen, Bob, I agree with you. Listen. If that weren't the case, it wouldn't be addressed here in Scripture. Godliness will lead, for, lead you to love other Christians, and then it will lead you to love... See, if you don't love yourself, and if you don't love other Christians, people who are brothers and sisters in Christ, in the forever family, then you haven't got much capacity, if you have any, to really truly, with your heart and spirit, love anyone outside of that family. It doesn't start out here. It starts in here. But why, Brother Bob, why is that so important that you stress this love and godliness? Because love, is, it's been proven, is the greatest evidence of both our commitment and our obedience to God Almighty. In fact, Jesus, in a response to a question about what's the greatest commandment, you know what he said. He said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and with all your strength, and love your, and love your neighbor as yourself. We spend so much of our lives catering to number one. And love your neighbor as yourself. Now, help me with a little pop quiz, okay? We all love to have pop quizzes, I know. What do the following people have in common? 
Let me go through my whole list. A 15-year-old teenager who longs for a driver's license. One. A young couple who have set the date for their wedding. Football fans who are glad to see this opening weekend finally come because they haven't seen any since February. And people who are waiting at BMV. I spent uh, two trips there this past week. And I was so amused, I was sitting there chuckling, and Barbara said to me, what's funny? And I said, look at the sign on each of the five kiosks at the BMV. She said, what does it say? It says, it's a question, two words. Can't wait? And then it gives you an option to make an appointment. You can come back at another time. You set the time, and so on. I got such a chuckle out of that, I thought. She said, why is that funny? I said, well, when you hear my message Sunday, you'll, you'll know why. Because <laughs> here I am. God's put me through the crucible too. And I'm sitting there at BMV and I'm doing what? What am I doing most of the time I'm there? Thank you. Or maybe even, like, I remember these days, a four or five-year-old who's looking forward to Christmas morning. Woo! So what do all those people I just mentioned have in common? You can say it out. You can say it. They're waiting. Life is full of waiting. Every day, this next week, it's going to be full of waiting. Some way, somehow, some for somebody. They all have to wait for something. And let me add something to that. You had a good answer, and I'll give you full credit. But there's something else I want you to add to your notes. They all have to wait for something, and the waiting is not easy. Amen? I often hear people say, oh, man, when we get that, and I, can't, I just can't wait to... Be. And I always say, so what's your option? <laughs> no, you're, you don't want to wait. You can't wait. You're, not, you're saying, I, so of course we're going to wait. So of course you can wait. And of course you can learn while you're waiting. That's wasted time if you don't. Now, I have, I'm going to take a side trip here for a second. I have two scripture passages that I put in here that I want in your notes if you're a note taker. I want you to write them in. I don't have them on the screen. This is a free bonus, and it's, you can redeem the coupon anytime you want. But here they are, and I'll repeat them so you get them. Luke 24. I'll give you the verses. Luke 24. I see you're all writing feverishly. Don't wear your hand out. 45 to 53. I can get it in your computer. Luke 24, 45 to 53. Okay? And the second reference, and I'll go back and speak to each one for just a half a minute. Second reference is Acts 1, verse 14. Acts 1, verse 14. Now, in the Luke 24 uh, example, Jesus appears to the disciples, and he tells them what the future is going to hold. They haven't a clue what he's talking about. And then he ascends into heaven. And for the rest of their lives, what did they do? They waited. In Acts chapter 1, verse 14, the Lord says, wait, I love these words, wait for the gift my father promised. And of course, you go to Acts chapter 2, and that was realized. I am telling you, my friend, there is a time to wait. People who never learn to wait and have everything dropped in their lap never learn anything. One of the most difficult things we have to do as human beings is we have to wait for some things. Why is that difficult? Because waiting goes against our nature. We don't want to wait. We want to do something. Yeah. Okay, I'll have a little saying for you. You might want to print this one out and put it on your bathroom mirror. There's a time to do and a time to wait. I want to do something. I want to do it right now. I want to go. Blah, 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 blah. See, waiting goes against our nature because we just want to do something about it. 
And the ability to tell the difference is a sign of your maturity. When I was a young boy, in the dark ages, my father would take me to some really nice trout fishing brooks. And I'm glad he did because I learned where those brooks were, and I, as an adult, for many years, frequented those. And he taught me to fish. And I got to tell you, it was pretty rustic, nothing fancy. A pole, some worms, and a bobber. I still haven't figured out why we had to get up in the middle of the night when it was still dark. I mean, don't fish sleep or what? I don't know. But I will tell you, when the bobber first moved in the water, here was my reaction. <laughs> I wanted to yank that thing out of the water so fast you'd think it was never in the water. And so about all you'd end up with is maybe one little fish, but usually not, back there about 20 yards, and you're lying up in a tree somewhere. Um, that didn't work. And my dad saw that right off, and he taught me to wait. And he said, let some line out. I didn't know what he meant, and he showed me. He said, work it a little bit. I said, okay, let the fish get really hungry. Let them get greedy. Let them hit it a few times, and when you think he's on there solid, then set your hook. I didn't know what he meant, but he taught me, and I learned. That came back to me the other day, and I thought, spiritually speaking, there are times when we have to wait, we have to hold on, we have to let some line out, we have to reel in slowly, and you know what we do then? We set the hook when it's ready to be set. So what are some examples of waiting? I think the first one that comes to my mind is when we desire wisdom. If you get on your knees today and pray for wisdom... Don't expect to get back on your feet and be the wisest person in the room. When you get on your knees and pray for patience, don't get on your feet. You get on your knees and pray for patience. Don't get on your feet and expect to be patient. You know what Paul said about that? He said, tribulation works patience. Trouble, hardship, Hurt, disappointment, discouragement. That's what builds patience. That's what builds that, uh, uh, that outer crust. So when you desire wisdom, it takes time to learn. It takes time to grow. It takes time to develop. It takes time to get the wisdom that you're looking for and that God wants you to have. The second example of waiting is when you experience some hurt or some loss in your life. It takes time to heal. It takes time for that to get over. Even as a church, if we want to grow, and we have grown, and we are growing, and praise God for every bit of it, but it has taken time, and it's going to take time to develop even further, and praise God for all that he's going to do, as well as all that he has done. Amen, church? Waiting, is a, you see, is a crucial part of our life in Jesus. Why did his disciples have to wait? Because they knew they needed, and they weren't even sure what it would look like, but they knew they needed power, and they knew that they needed direction, and they knew that they needed to follow every word he taught them. And you and I may have to wait for some of the same reasons. Here's my point. There's a right way and a wrong way to wait. The right way is you wait to receive power and direction and the leading of God. The wrong way is you remain stagnant and powerless and following your tail around a circle that never ends. And nobody wants that. I think of the children of Israel in bondage in, 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 their, in their wilderness journey. You know, they took a shortcut. And it only took them 40 years to make an 11-day journey. And that's where some Christians are today. Now, the disciples, as far as I'm concerned, are the model. 
for the right way to wait. The most remarkable thing about these disciples, this might come as a little shocker to you, but I'm going to say it because I think it's worth really, really, really thinking about. Take it away with you and think about it. I believe the most remarkable thing about Jesus' disciples, the most remarkable thing about what they did was what they didn't do. They didn't run off helter-skelter on some foolish mission with no sense of being empowered. Just put yourself in their shoes or sandals for a moment. They witnessed Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection and heard him speak of all of that and they still didn't understand most of it. They saw him ascend to heaven as Lord of all creation. They were supposed to keep their mouths shut about that. And here's what the disciples did and this is the the guts. This is the heart and soul of our message today. They obeyed instructions that they'd already received from Luke 24. They went to Jerusalem. That's what Jesus said. Go to Jerusalem. He commanded that. They were obedient. They were faithful in doing whatever task lay at hand. Matthew 6 will tell you that. And they obeyed instructions with great joy. Now, they could have reacted much differently to Jesus' sudden departure. They could have been angry. They could have been fearful. They could have been frustrated. They could have been disappointed. And they could have just walked away. They could have grudgingly obeyed, maybe, from that point, instead of having that expectant joy. But they all joined together constantly, Acts 1.13 says. Daily, and in every house, they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. Woo-hoo. And they were happy campers. They intensified their commitment to community. No one had to tell them to meet together because it was the natural thing for them to do. So they all joined together constantly in prayer, Acts 1. And their gatherings were not, were not just uh, merely social events, certainly a time to lean on God, and these were times to seek his direction as a, as a community. Dear man or woman, is there something in your life today for which you've had to wait, and you're waiting right now? Waiting is hard, and it goes against our nature. But it's so powerful in development and learning and knowledge. So let's jump to point three, winning. What should we do in the meantime if we have to wait? Here's how to win. First, obey God's clear directive in Scripture. Secondly, choose to feel and express joy versus other emotions. Thirdly, maintain a strong commitment to your community And fourth, maintain a strong commitment to prayer and devotion. And by doing these things, you become productive and useful followers and servants of Christ. In other words, our personal Christian faith, if you're doing these things, it works. It works. People see a difference in our lives. They see our self-control. They see our patience at work. They see and perhaps even experience the love in our hearts and in our souls. They see that this thing called Christianity for you really does work. It's not just a label. It's not just a tag. It's not just a, excuse me for using the word, a religion. This is is relationship. This is real. This is growing. Leads me to ask the question, can impatience and love really exist together in the same heart? When we turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, very popular chapter of Scripture, The very first word that Paul uses to describe love is patient. Love is patient. Love is patient. Then he goes on and he describes love is kind. Love is, love is, no, it's not irritable. It rejoices when the truth wins. It's always hopeful and it endures through every circumstance. Sounds to me like patience. Sounds to me like self-control. Sounds to me like love. In fact, let's look at what Paul says love is not. Love is not jealousy, it's not pride, it's not being rude, it's not demanding or irritable or keeping a record. Oh, save me. 
Yeah, I'm doing fine over there, but, but that guy, if he, I haven't forgotten, and I, I can forgive, but I can't forget. Well, if you can't forget, you can't forgive either. If my God says all your sin has been buried in the deepest sea and a no fishing sign has been posted, and you're not even going to go back into that region, then I guess you can forgive why you're forgetting why you're forgiving. Let me ask the question again. Can impatience and love really exist together in the same heart? No, it really can't. Patience is a character quality. Mm. Mm. And the tension now, that's where the Rehoboth hits the sidewalk, right there. Patience is a character quality. And the tension, the battle between being patient and impatient is a character issue. Christianity has to do with a change in character. It has to do with a change in your nature that takes place as a change in our relationship with God takes place. You, take, you change that relationship and everything else will change in your life. And I think that one of the best descriptions of our life apart from God is impatience. We know how to run the life. We know better than anybody else. We can take charge. We can manage it. Good luck with that. I say the waiting room is part of daily life. This might be the, this might be the epicenter of my thesis this morning. Hear this. When you understand that God is never late, you wait differently. In the past, for me, one of my favorite practical authors was Patrick, and is Patrick Morley. And one of my favorite quotes, he's so, and I say practical, uh, one of my favorite co- uh, quotes from uh, Morley is the phrase, the gospel of addition. Let me, let me uh, uh, explain that to you real quickly. The point that he makes is that so often we think of adding God to our lives instead of subtracting sin out of our lives. Hello. God and sin cannot coexist together. It's either one or the other. Saul made the wrong choice. He had a choice long before us. And the tragedy of that choice, he paid dearly for the rest of his life. And you know what happened to Saul? He went mad at certain points. Depression set in. Rage was uh, expressed at those closest uh, in his inner circle. He died a tragic death. But that wasn't God's plan for him. God wanted, the prophet said it himself, the word of God. God wanted to honor and bless Saul, but impatience proved to be his downfall. Saul lacked self-control. He lacked patient endurance. He lacked godliness. He lacked love, and his life showed it. See, Saul made a decision the decision was between giving in, Christian, hear me, between giving in or growing up. He chose giving in. Make no mistake, we face the same choices. Every day of our lives, Satan always, almost daily, presents us with the same choice. He's going to present one to you probably before you get home today. I'm so tempted, but that's for another time. To help us develop and practice self-control and patient endurance and godliness and love, as we make the choice to do so, this is God's desire, we grow, we move forward, our faith begins to work, and people begin to take notice. That's what we want. You want to see this place filled overflowing? You want to see it filled overflowing maybe more than once on a Sunday do you want to see people's lives changed? Do you want to see the baptismal waters stirred? Do you want to see people testify of their love for Christ, people who never knew him? Listen, go out and live Christ in front of them and around them and for them and no telling what kind of miracles are going to happen at Faith Community. Well, he was excited. Young man... 
fresh out of college, knew it all. Remember the saying someone, someone had, they said, uh, I went to college for four years, and when I got home, I couldn't believe how much my father had learned. <laughs> used to go to preacher meetings a lot in my early days, and some old preacher said, you know, a young preacher is just, just like a wasp that's just been hatched. That little flying insect is biggest just after it's hatched. He was speaking to young preachers who thought, okay, I've got the position, I've got the place, I've got the pulpit, I've got the platform, look out, here I come. And many of them were way too big for their own britches. But this young man was very excited one day, and he entered his dad's study, beautiful study in their home, and he was waiting for his college graduation gift, which was now due and had been earned. He had his eye on that bright, gorgeous red sports car down at the car dealership a few streets away. Cost was no object. His dad could do it. He was a very wealthy man. So the young man stood before his dad, just kind of stood there waiting, and his father was a very devout follower of Jesus. Dad was concerned about his son. He was concerned about the values he was choosing to live by. So he decided to give him a gift that he felt would teach the son what really, really, really is important in life. Beautifully wrapped box. Presented to his son, he eagerly tore the wrapping paper off. Almost, a, it was a pity to see it happen, I guess, because it was so beautiful. His excitement turned to dismay and the dismay to anger when he found a beautiful, beautiful leather Bible in that box. This is what I get? The son demanded, How could you do this to me? And angrily, he tossed the Bible on the father's desk and stormed out of that study. Years later, the son, now a middle-aged man, was going through the items in that study and in that desk the day after the funeral of his father. Came across the Bible. Still in the box. He opened the box and pulled out the Bible. As he pulled it out, Something fell out of it. He bent down to pick up what had fallen and discovered it was a set of car keys to the red sports car that he'd wanted so many years before. Friend, you, I, I don't know why you hesitate. But don't get mad at God if you are called to wait just be obedient. Just be faithful. Just love on him more. There's always a time. Hear me out. There is a time to act and a time to wait. And as much as you may wish it, otherwise, this might be your time to wait. And I say that to you because I love you. May God help us, that's you and me and every one of us individually, may God help us to wait properly and to be completely open to God this day and allow Him to do His work in our lives, waiting without whining and moving on to glorious winning. To God be the glory. I want to close this message with prayer, but I want the prayer to be part of what we've done here this morning. So I need your help. I'm going to pray. It's kind of a responsive prayer. And what I'd like to do is pray a few words and have you repeat them. And as we dedicate ourselves to God, 
I pray that you'll be serious about this. If you don't feel you need it, I'm going to ask that you do it anyway, just to be part of what's happening here in our community. I invite you. I invite you in love to join me in this prayer. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, forgive me for all my doubts, worries, and fears. Forgive me for my impatience as I wait in place. Forgive me for questioning the story you've written for me. Forgive me for not seeking your face and allowing the struggles before me to seem greater and stronger than your grace and mercy for me. Cleanse my heart of all that keeps me from you. Help me to see the ways I've tried to be my own boss and guide. Help me to see the things I am clinging to right now that I think I must have to make me happy and help me to repent and turn from them. Lord, I pray that as I release this decision to you, I will find stability and safety in your word. Help me to trust in the wisdom you provide and the strength of your presence. Help me to resist confusion and fear as I wait on you, Lord. You are the most reliable and trustworthy source of help I could ever ask for. Thank you for your presence in my life. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.